Chapter 28, verse 1. In those days, the Philistines gathered their troops for war in order to fight Israel. David, the great warrior of Israel, the only thing that was actually being a threat to the Philistines is now with the Philistines. So Achish now sees this as an opportunity to really go against Israel. Achish said to David, You should fully understand that you and your men must go with me into battle. And David replied to Achish, That being the case, you will come to know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Then I will make you my bodyguard for life now. Achish really thinks he can trust David. And so he's bringing David in as his personal bodyguard to go in war with him against the Israelites. And the question is, will David fight with Achish against the Israelites? Which is very possible because David is going to fight against the Israelites in chapter 2 and 3 of Second Samuel. Or will he not fight with them but end up betraying them and come up on their rear end and attack them while the Israelites are coming at them? We don't know because they will never be given the chance. Now Samuel had died and all of Israel lamented over him and had buried him in Ramah, his hometown. And you're like, we've already been told that. But the narrator is reminding you because of what's coming next. In the meantime, Saul had removed the mediums and the magicians from the land, and the Philistines assembled, and they came and camped to Shunem. And Saul mustered all of Israel and camped at Gilboa. Now the law forbid all witches and mediums and all that kind of stuff because it was, it's, it's consulting demons, and God forbids that. So they were to be killed and executed in the land. And that was, that's in um, Deuteronomy. And Saul actually obeyed God in that command. He actually obeyed God in the command. So the ability to find a witch is very hard at this time. Once again, that's important for what's coming. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was absolutely terrified. So Saul inquired of Yahweh, but Yahweh did not answer him, not by dreams or Urim or nor prophets. Now, why isn't God answering Saul? He left him. Yeah, but doesn't God promise to always be there for you? And whenever you turn to him, he'll always be there. But God also requires repentance. Remember with the story of Jephthah, when Israel cried out to God for rescue, and God's like, I'm done with you. You've abandoned me, you've gone to your idols, and no matter how many times I rescue you, go back to your idols, back to your idols, back to your idols. Go to your gods and let them rescue you. But then they buried all their idols, and they fasted, and they repented, and made sacrifices to Yahweh, and he changed his mind, and he helped them. See, Yahweh will not answer your prayers when you're blatantly living in sin and not repenting. But the minute you repent, he will come rushing back into your life because he wants to have a relationship with you. But only if you're listening and only if you're willing to have a relationship. And so God does not answer him because he is done with Saul. He's answering because he's left Saul because Saul has refused to repent and really seek God out in a relationship. So in desperation, Saul turns to another device. So verse 7, So Saul instructed his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so that I may go to her and inquire of her. His servants replied to him, There is a woman, a medium, a witch of Endor, and she is the queen of the Ewoks. She is a witch. So the very thing that he's been exterminating, eliminating, he's now going to it for advice. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothing and left accompanied by two of his men. And they came to the woman at night and said, Use your ritual pit to conjure up for me the one that I tell you. Now Saul has to disguise himself because he's the one killing all these witches. And you just can't show up and say, Hey, I want your consult. And you're like, You're the one trying to kill me. And they run away. 
But what's also interesting is every single time a king disguises himself, they always end up dying. And we're not, we've kind of seen that already, but we're really going to see that in the book of Kings. Every single time a king disguises himself or somebody else close to them to deceive somebody, they always die. It always ends badly because they're trying to disguise themselves and to make themselves look like somebody else. So he says, conjure up the one that I want. But the woman said to him, look, you are aware of what Saul has done. He has removed the mediums and the magicians from the land. Why are you trapping me? So that you can put me to death. But Saul swore an oath to her by Yahweh, as surely as Yahweh lives, you would not incur guilt on his master. The woman replied, who is it that I shall bring up for you? And he said, bring up for me Samuel. This is ironic because he says, I swear in the name of Yahweh that I will not punish you for a crime that Yahweh has said that you should be punished for. How do these mediums work? This is important to understand. First, mediums are a go-between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. I used to have to do a lot of explaining this stuff, but now with Hollywood movies everywhere, they're so accurate. Everybody, Long Island, medium, or all those kind of things. So medium is a go to There are people who are spiritually gifted to be connected to the spiritual realm. That's legit. There are people, just like some people are gifted athletically, some people are musical, some people are academically, some people are gifted with a spiritual connection. They can sense the spiritual realm. They can feel it, they can talk to it, and all that kind of stuff. And in the pagan occult world, we call these witches, mediums, necromancers, that kind of stuff. In the Christian world, we call them prophets. Why do you think these men were chosen to be prophets and other men weren't? Why was it that this guy was called up into the divine council of Yahweh, but another person wasn't? Because they were already spiritually gifted that way. Why do some people have the gift of prophecy and the ability to lay on hands and other people don't? Because they're already gifted by God in that way. And so with Elijah, he's able to see the angel, the army of God's angels all the time. But the other guy, his servant next to him, can't in the book of Kings. And so there are people who are more gifted in this area. Whether they use it for God or they don't, it's up to them. And a meeting works this way. Now, a meeting will conjure up a spirit. And usually the two different kinds of spirits they conjure up is a spiritual being, like an angel or a god, that will come to you and give you secret knowledge and wisdom from the beyond and help you achieve that knowledge, see the future, know something about the world, give you guidance in your life, something like that. that. The second kind of being that they will conjure up is a dead relative that you want to talk to. You want to know how grandpa's doing, or you never got to resolve things with your sister, or something like that. Now, biblically speaking, and experientially speaking, not my own personal experience, but just lots of testimonies of people who have been involved in this, it is impossible to talk to the dead. If you want to know why and how that all works, then take my occult class in the summer. It is impossible to do that. The dead are dead, and you can't talk to them. So when people conjure up these spirits, one of two things are happening. Either they're truly conjuring up a demonic being who's posing as a dead relative and acting like they are that, or a demonic being who's acting like they're the ascended God that will give you great wisdom for their life, or the medium is a con artist and is really good at reading people and is making you think they've conjured somebody up. Most of the time... They conjure up some spirit, and the spirit appears to them, and only they can see the spirit, and they talk to it. 
which makes it very convenient and they're conning of you. Or sometimes the spirit possesses them and begins to talk through their body. And that's common too. This is a medium. Now, every medium that has ever, I've ever watched videos of their testimonies because they used to be a medium or no longer they are, they always talk about what's called a familiar spirit. And a familiar spirit is just like you're going to this familiar woman or man to constantly talk to whatever dead person or spirit that you want. There's a spirit in the other side that they're constantly talking to that they're really close to, really familiar with, that goes out and gets everybody else in the spiritual realm to bring them to you. So there's a spiritual familiar spirit that's a medium in that world and a medium in this world, and they connect. And they're the ones that connect everybody. And it makes it easier to connect. And the more and more they connect with this spirit, the more and more familiar they become and the easier it is. And they recognize it. Now, that's important to understand when we get here because the question is, what's going on here? So he says, I want you to conjure up Samuel. Now, notice she doesn't balk at that. Probably because she doesn't expect Samuel to come. Because why in the world would a prophet of God come in a conjuring? Probably her familiar spirit's going to come and she's going to con Saul into thinking that it's Samuel. Because later when Samuel appears, she freaks out. Now, why would she freak out when Samuel appears, but she doesn't freak out when he says conjure up Samuel? Meaning that she doesn't expect Samuel. She thinks something else is going to appear because that's the way it works. So verse 12, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out loudly, and the woman said, Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And the king said to her, don't be afraid. What have you seen? And the woman replied to Saul, I have seen the one like a Elohim coming up from the ground. And he said to her, what about his appearance? And she said, an old man coming up, he is wrapped in a robe. Immediately we would say, that's not Samuel, because she can't conjure up beings. But the reality is, it is Samuel. For two reasons. One, she freaks out when she sees Samuel. This is like somebody saying, I'll go talk to the president for you. And then they go talk to the president and they freak out. Like, oh my gosh, the president's here. Well, that's, that's what they do for a living. That's what they expected to happen. But she says, I'll go talk to Samuel for you. And then when Samuel appears, she freaks out, which means she didn't expect Samuel to appear. Which means she didn't make Samuel appear. She didn't expect Samuel to appear. And this isn't something that she recognizes or she's familiar with, which means it's completely different. And the first thing that happens is truth is revealed. The disguise of Saul is revealed and unmasked to her. That right there lets you know that this is really Samuel. Now there's a second reason this is Samuel, and we need to keep reading. Then Saul realized, so she says, oh, he looks like an old man, and he's got a robe. Now, also says that he is like a Elohim coming out of the ground. Your translations say God or gods or even spirit. But remember, in the divine council of Yahweh, we talked about the word Elohim just means any disembodied figure, any being that has no physical body, any being that's part of the spiritual realm. And the word Elohim means that this is a being that has no physical body who's a part of the spiritual realm. And she says he's wearing a robe. When Saul realized that it was Samuel, he bowed his face to the ground and kneeled down. How do you know it was Samuel? Because of the robe. The robe. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul replied, I am terribly troubled. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has turned away from me. He does not answer me, not by prophets nor by dreams. So I have called on to tell me what I should do. I've called on you to tell me what I should do. Now, the Hebrew here actually says, why have you awakened me? Now, one thing you need to understand is 
They don't have any concept of heaven or the afterlife like we do. The closest thing that they have in the afterlife in their way of thinking is the Egyptians believe that when you died, you, your spirit, not your body, nobody in the ancient world valued the resurrection of a body except for the Jews. Even the Jews didn't fully understand that yet. The Egyptians believed when you died, your spirit went into this kind of afterlife place. And this afterlife place was a, a hazy, murky, shadowy, sub physical kind of existence and and no one was completely sure what that life was like they know that there's the the spirits are very confused they're disoriented most of the time and if you're really obedient to the gods and the gods really bless you then you will have more of your faculties and your ability to think in the afterlife and it won't be as shadowy or mercury or confused murky or confusing to you as for other people and it will actually be a good, blessed life. But for most people, it's just they're really confused. Like they just have like constant lack of short-term memory all the time in a way. And they just wander around. And your ability to remember and actually function is dependent upon your obedience. But everybody just lives in this shadowy experience because they don't know any other way to explain it. That's it. The, Egypt, the Jews had that same view, the Israelites. They had this view that you went to Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew word for the grave. And they didn't have a fully understand idea that the, 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 the godly go to one place and the ungodly go to another place that didn't exist in their mind. For them, Sheol was the grave. And the Sheol was this a soul sleep where you're kind of asleep and kind of not asleep and you just kind of wandered around and you're awaiting something. And they, they knew that was not permanent because they began to reason in their mind that if God promised Abraham to be a part of the kingdom of God and he promised them all this land and to be a great nation and Abraham never saw that in his lifetime, then there was yet God had to honor that promise to Abraham. One day God is going to do something and honor all those promises, but until then everybody is just in this grave in this kind of sleeping, half awake, kind of half sleep, shadowy existence, awaiting something that God's going to do, but we don't have any idea what it is. It's not until Daniel comes along that he gets some revelation from God and he actually is the first person ever who begins to talk about two destinations. What we would think more as like a heaven and hell and a place where the believers and the righteous will go to a place where God will give them a land where they will have rest from all their enemies and they will be blessed with all the blessings of God and their bodies will shine like the stars, Daniel says. But the unbelievers will go to another place where they're not having the blessings of God at all. The Jews then develop this more and more over time until they come up with this idea of Hades, where everybody is in the First Testament, and some are being tormented like the rich man and Jesus' parable, and others have a good life in Abraham. And then one day God is going to do something where he's going to empty Hades and put all the ungodly people in hell and the godly people in some kind of paradise. And it's Jesus who then takes that and really begins to develop a clearer picture of this. But at this point, all they understand is that Samuel is in this sleepish kind of existence. And that's why Samuel says, why have you woken me? Because he's in this murky place, and now all of a sudden everything's becoming clear and crisp, and he's back in the real world again. Saul says, I'm desperate. I need help. God's not answering me. So I went to you. But I went to you through really biblically ungodly means. 
Verse 16, Samuel said, why, have you, why are you asking me now that Yahweh has turned away from you and has become your enemy? Yahweh has done exactly as I prophesied. Yahweh torn the kingdom from your hand and has given it to your neighbor David. Since you did not obey Yahweh and did not carry out his fierce anger against the Amalekites, Yahweh has done this thing to you today. Then Yahweh will hand you and Israel over to the Philistines. And tomorrow both you and your sons will be with me. And Yahweh will also hand the army of Israel over to the Philistines. So Samuel then says, because of your sins against God, all those years of your kingship, specifically not obeying against the Amalekites, and now this, tomorrow you're going to die. And your sons. And the Philistines are going to grab the Israelite army. Now when he says you will be with me, he doesn't mean you're going to be with me in heaven. Remember, you can't read the first, Second Testament back into the First Testament. What he means is you'll be with me in this murky, shadowy shield. Dead. This is the third judgment against Saul. He's going to die tomorrow. This is the second reason you know Samuel is really standing before him. Because here's the thing. Samuel judged him and condemned him. Every single time. Every single time that a dead relative or an enlightened spiritual being comes and talks to anybody who's alive through some kind of necromancer or medium or witch, they always, always, always say, there's no judgment in the afterlife. There's no God that's angry with you that you have to answer to. Everybody goes to the same utopian paradise and everybody has an awesome eternal existence. In fact, some of them go so far to say, and you're a God unto yourself. There's never judgment from the ghosts. That's one of the reasons you know that you're not really talking to the dead. Because either God is wrong and there really is no judgment in the afterlife and everybody goes to the same place, or the ghosts aren't really your relatives and they're lying. And I prefer to go with the thousands of years of archaeological and historical evidence and internal evidence and the amazing literary development of the word of God and the testimony of lots of people than some woman who's con- talking to some being that I can't see. Never, ever, ever do they judge you or condemn you for doing this practice. Never do they judge you or condemn you for your lifestyle. And they always, always talk judgment, final judgment away. And they always point you to a great existence in the afterlife. Every single time. And yet the message of this being is, you're wrong. You sinned against God. You're going to be punished. He's carrying out your judgment. Tomorrow you're going to die. There's never been a being that said that. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, God has allowed Samuel to really appear. Now, the woman didn't do it because she freaked out. So I've heard some Christians say, therefore, this kind of stuff is okay because she was actually capable of doing it. No, 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 no. She didn't do it. She's not capable of doing it. She freaked out. God allowed it to happen, and he didn't allow it to happen to pour out great things on people for doing witchcraft. He allowed it to happen so he could judge Saul again. (laughs) If anything, this should scare the crap out of you doing it because you're either going to do it and get a lie and a deceptive spirit, or you're going to get a real thing that's going to judge you and pound you into the ground even more. But God allowed this to happen for whatever reason in order to just judge Saul again, because this is the prophet of Yahweh. And the point, I think, one of the points that God is allowing this to happen, I don't know all the reasons, 
But I think one of the points that God is trying to show you is that he is a God in this life and the afterlife. And it doesn't matter whether you go to this life to find out answers outside of God or you go to the next life to find answers outside of God. Either way, God will be there and he will condemn you and judge you. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter whether you're in this life or the next life, you will still answer to him. And I think this passage is here just to help make that point. That either way, it doesn't matter where you go, you cannot escape the judgment of God if you're living contrary to his will. Verse 20, Saul quickly fell full length on the ground and was very afraid because of Samuel's words. He was completely drained of energy and not having eaten anything all day and night. When the woman came to Saul and saw how terrified he was, he said to him, Your servant has done what you asked. I took my life into my own hands and did what you told me to do. Now it's your turn to listen to your servant. Let me set before you a bit of bread that you may can eat. And when you regain your strength, you can go on your way. But Saul refused, saying, I won't eat. She's offering him a meal. And remember what a meal represents. Covenants. Connections. Saul refuses. But both his servants and the woman urged him to eat, and he gave in, and he got up from the ground and sat down on the bed. And now the woman had well-fed calf at her home, and she quickly sought her, taking some of the flour. She kneaded the bread and baked it without leaven. And she brought it to Saul and his servants, and they ate. And they arose and left that same night. Saul, one of the last things you're going to see Saul do, because the next time we see Saul, he's dying. One of the last things that Saul does is he completes his total rebellion against God by having a covenant meal with a witch. The one last thing that he could have done is he's now joined the demonic world. He's made a covenant meal with them. And Saul finds comfort in the arms of a witch, in the meal of a witch, and making a covenant meal with her. And the idea is that he's just too exhausted to resist anymore. In some ways, you kind of feel sorry for Saul that this is the end of his life. But in other ways, he's the one that dug his exhausting hole. He's the one who dug his exhausting hole. 